Alhamdulillahi wa kafa Wa salaman ala ibadihi al-lazeen astafa amma ba'd Billahi min ash-shaytani rajimi bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Annama amwalukum wa awladukum fitna Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun Wa salaman ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Allahumma salli ala sayyiduna Muhammad Wala ala sayyiduna Muhammad wa barik wa sallam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Quran Annama amwalukum wa awladukum fitna That indeed your wealth, amwal, all of your wealth, property, possessions, assets, possessions Wa awladukum, all of your children in progeny Fitna are something through which Allah Ta'ala will test and try you. You will be tested and tried by means of all that you own and all the children that you have. And another verse Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, لَا تُلْحِكُمْ أَمْوَالَكُمْ وَلَا أَوْلَادُكُمْ أَنْ ذِكْرِ So what will be the test? Here Allah Ta'ala says that don't let your possessions nor your children Distract you from the zikr of Allah Ta'ala. وَمَنْ يَفْأَلْ ذَلَكَ فُؤُلَائِكَ هُمُ الْخَاسِرُونَ And whomsoever does that, they will be amongst the people who are in complete loss. So when you understand these two verses together, it means that the fitna, the test will be that your wealth and children have the ability and your feelings for your wealth and your feelings for your children have the ability to distract you from the zikr of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. <coughs> now we have been talking in the gatherings in the masjid after Dhuhr Salah about mal, about money and the trial and test of money. <coughs> and how to make sure a person doesn't fall in the trap and the test of money. And that is called sadaqah. That to give away extra money in charity, not to save and hoard excessive amounts, to be reasonable, but again, not frivolous in one's expenditure on oneself, to avoid israf. So there are many teachings in our deen how to make sure that mal is not become a fitna. And in fact, you can find entire books on this topic. However, you will find very few who have gathered material on this topic, how not to make our children a fitna. In other words, how not to fail the test and trial that Allah Ta'ala will test us with through our children. So the very first thing, and this would take all of today actually, is how to protect ourselves the fitna of children. Again, so it sounds strange when you say it like that. The fitna of children. It means rather being tested through children. So the number one way is that children are a test that will you raise your children according to the will and wish and pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or, this will be a test, or do you raise them according to the wishes of the dunya? 
So the dunya tells you, put them in Western education. The dunya tells you, let them wear Western culture, fashion. The dunya tells you, give them Western technology of iPad and wireless. So that's a test for you. That will you succumb to that? Or will you follow the wishes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And this test will happen all the time. Sometimes your own children will test you. So they will come to you very sweetly and they know you have love for them and they will ask you to do something or allow them something or let them go somewhere or let them do something or let them be with someone which is not what Allah Ta'ala wants them to do. It's not the most pleasing to Allah Ta'ala. It's not the most preferable to Allah Ta'ala. This will be a test for you. This will be a test for you. Will you let your soft motherly love and kindness and affection make you spoil your child? Or will you be steadfast on deen and while remaining kind and gentle to your child, but will you be able to use wisdom and steer your child and keep your child away from that which displeases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And we have observed that most time, most of the time, when mothers, they come and they ask questions about parenting, most of the time it's because something has gone wrong. And many times it's a case of what we call too little, too late. means they didn't look to the guidance of deen. They didn't look to the guidance of deen when they were raising the child. They did whatever they felt they wanted. They did what their relatives told them. They gave into peer pressure. They gave into social pressure. They followed the norms. And then they took a chance. It was a test and they took a chance. And then when one of their children turns out bad, maybe they don't pray, maybe they question the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, maybe they catch one child in some unlawful relationship or sending some inappropriate message or viewing something inappropriate. Then now, after all of that time had passed and now the child failed to turn out according to the pleasure of Allah ta'ala, then the mother comes and asks that what does Islam say about raising children? Hmm? It's the very same thing in marriage. People wait for the problem in marriage to figure out what Islam says in marriage. So this is the first fitna. First fitna. That every step of the way, it's a test. Will you look and for the guidance? Will you look for guidance to Allah Ta'ala, to Deen, to Quran, to Nabiya Karim Sallallahu in your identity and role as a mother? Or will you just let yourself be a mother on your own, unguided, uninformed, doing whatever you happen to see or whatever you happen to feel is the right way of being a mother. It's a chance. It's a chance. But increasingly, because increasingly the surrounding culture, society is going far from deen, far from the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So increasingly, many people are failing this test. Failing this test. So actually now, for you to understand what this means, it's important to get an idea of how, what is the Islamic conception of the role of a mother. To see where it begins, and then see how many of these things anyone has in any of them. How many things has any of woman, how many has she done? So it began the very beginning, even before she, uh, even before she conceives, even before she gets pregnant with child. Even before that. The first thing is that the desire for children, the want for children, the wish to have children at that very outset has to be purely for the sake of Allah Ta'ala, for the pleasure of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. 
And I want to be a mother and have a child. Why? So I can bring a life form into this world and raise that human being so that they become the wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they become the friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they become the worshipper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they become the khadim of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It has to be right there at the outset. And if this is not there, it just happens, or it's a ghafla, or just by routine, and it's not conscious intention and du'as and prayers to Allah ta'ala, then this is a bad start. Mean, put it rather, it's an empty start. It's a ghafla. It's an empty start. So the very beginning, very beginning, just like you can imagine Nabi Zakaria he wanted a child beforehand and he had feelings for that and he made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then there's dua in Quran, Rabbi la tadarni farda wa anta khayra warithin. That, oh my Lord, don't leave me alone and without issue, without offspring. Indeed, you are the best of the ones who bequeath to others. So bequeath me children, so I have offspring. So this should be the feeling. So don't think this is only the feeling of the older age, Nabi Zakaria salam. This should be the feeling of every woman before she has a child, that she wants the child for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then when she gets pregnant, then at that moment, she should have a lot of shukr. She shouldn't only have shukr if it took her 10 years to conceive after marriage. She shouldn't only have shukr if she had two miscarriages before. And without waiting for any misfortune, any calamity, she should be doing a lot of shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all of you know that they are just like every blessing in the world. There are always so many people who are deprived of that blessing. There are many who have wealth. There are people who are deprived of wealth. There are many who have homes, there are many who are homeless, there are many who have health, there are some who don't have health, and there are many people who have children, and there are many people who are deprived of the blessing of children. Allahu Akbar. And even if they try to go for different treatment or take different procedures within the boundaries of Sharia, still, it's not that simple. It's not something that one can always buy. This is one of the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like all of his other blessings, is part of his fuzzle, his kalam, his infinite generous grace. Yutihi man yasha, he bestows this blessing on whomever he wishes. And that's why, next she should feel what blessings Allah ta'ala gives as part of the pregnancy. It comes in a hadith that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives the pregnant woman of all of her sins during the process of labor. Allahu Akbar. This is in itself a separate blessing. So that because she's taken this, you can say, burden physically. And this is the nature of Allah Ta'ala. فَإِنَّ مَعَ الْأُسْرِ يُسْرَى That whenever any hardship is placed, whenever any burden is placed, whenever any difficulty is placed, the Allah Ta'ala always attaches to that some ease, some relaxation. So this is also Allah Ta'ala's mercy. This is one way of forgiveness that the men don't have access to. Hmm? In fact, there are quite a few ways that women, that's a separate topic, but there's quite a few ways that women have of exclusively unique to their gender, attracting the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now many women are not conscious of this. There are few women left who make du'a, the du'as at that time. Du'as at the time of labor are accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Many women have been negligent of this also. Imagine if all the women's 
all the mothers who in their labor they made dua for Ummah, if all the mothers in their labor they made dua for rain and drought, there's so many things to make dua for. Hmm? All the women who are lawfully married and lawfully have children, if at that moment they made dua for their fellow Muslim women who are engaged in unlawful relations and having unlawful children, you need allow the zina, children out of wedlock. That's another ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Ya Allah, not only did you bless me with a child, but you blessed me with a child within the sharia, according to your wishes, through nikah. Ya Rabbi, there's so many of my fellow Muslim women who they didn't know and they didn't understand or they knew, but they failed to understand or they knew and they understood even, but they still failed to control themselves and they ended up in the sin that they're having children outside of nikah. A person should be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Person should be, have sugar to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then some of her mentioned that as soon as a woman she gets this information, at some point she learns, discovers that she's expecting. So she should immediately make sugar to Allah ta'ala. Allahumma lakal hamdu lakal shukr. And she should pray two rakahs nafil sugar to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's some women who spend their entire nine months pregnancy that never once did they pray even two rakats nafil shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hmm? Only concern about the mundane aspect. Yes, no doubt, a woman should take care of her health, she should eat well, she should rest well, and then mashallah in different cultures, I don't know about here, but in different cultures and societies, there are actually special food preparations that are given to the women who are pregnant. Hmm? But just like she is giving special food preparations to nourish her body during that pregnancy, she should also do special spiritual adhkar, more talawa, more dua, more zikr, so she can spiritually nurture the baby inside her pregnancy. Many women, they go through a nine-month pregnancy and they never recited the whole Qur'an once, so the baby in womb never heard it. They didn't listen to Qur'an recitation by an audio from some Qari once at least, so the baby could hear it. So there's so many things. Allah Akbar, I'll give you an example. Ajeeb, there was one student of ours in London and her husband had told me the good news that him and his wife, they were expecting their first child. And then at some point later, the husband told me that they're going for Umrah. So I did not know exactly when, you know, how far into the expectancy they were. So I asked the husband, you know, your wife, it's the first time she's pregnant. You want to go for Umrah. You just make sure that she's in good health and everything is fine. And you see how far she is into her pregnancy. So Ajeeb, you know what the answer was? That that woman, she had read in hadith, which is true hadith, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts the ruh in the baby at the time of 120 days. So she had calculated based on whatever the doctors told her her due date was and estimated on the safe side. And she said, I want to be sitting in front of the Kaaba when Allah ta'ala puts the ruh in my baby in my womb. This was her niyat of going on Umrah. Allahu Akbar, I was amazed. I never in my life heard anything like that. I was amazed. He said, this is why we're going on Umrah. So it was funny because I was being all, you know, be careful. Huh? And he was saying, this is the very reason we're going. We're going because she's pregnant. That's why we're going. Because she has this wish. Allahu Akbar, Kabira, Ajeeb. 
Now imagine a woman who begins her pregnancy like that. Hmm? I was just imagining, and then when they when they left, and I was thinking about them the whole trip. I was imagining, wow, they must be there. I wonder what they're doing. They're probably trying to stay in Kaaba the whole time. Because huh? he wants the roof should come while he's looking at Kaaba. Allah Akbar Kabira. Hmm? Ajeeb. Then obviously imagine what type of du'as that woman must have made while looking at the Kaaba. Imagine what du'as that woman must have made for her baby while making tawaf. Imagine what type of du'as that woman must have made while making sa'i. Hmm? This is called, oh, this is called turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is called viewing your pregnancy as an act of shukr to Allah ta'ala as a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there's some women they took such great care, such ihtimam, just like I was giving you an example that the women today in different cultures, they take great care to have certain special preparations and foods during the pregnancy for their physical nourishment. So similarly then she should take great care extra recitation of Qur'an. And I'm not advising every woman should check with her doctor about her travel and whether she may or may not go for Umrah. That's a longer discussion. But still, some feeling like that, okay, even if you can't go, even for financial reasons, but one could do the same thing in theory, right? Calculate this and see, roughly speaking, to the best of modern understanding, when will 120 days come? Maybe add plus minus 10 days and spend those 20 days in a lot of ibadah. Try to do constant ibadah so that the ru enters the baby in your womb when you're in a state of dhikr, in a state of ibadah. It should, this is a new way of looking at that hadith. Most of us, we just took it as a point of information. 120 days, the ru ends. But look, see, this is an example. Those women who love Allah Ta'ala, hmm? those women who are seekers of Allah Ta'ala, those women who, on the, sometimes these women on this path of zikr, they do amazing, they get amazing insights. This is the power of the zikr of Allah Ta'ala. MashaAllah, this woman was very regular in her muraqabah. Very regular in her muraqabah. Hmm? This is the power of the zikr of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. This is the power of the zikr of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Then what our Mashaik have also mentioned, that during her pregnancy, because she may be more resting, not so active, so she should do another form of ibadah, which is called reading, learning. She should read the seer of Nabi Akram sallallahu alayhi wasallam, so that in her heart, she has emotions for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi while she has the baby in her womb. Because even modern science says that the women's, the pregnant woman's emotions can also have some effect on the baby. So they look at it from the other side. So they want to make sure the woman is not depressed, the woman is not this, so that it doesn't in any way possibly negatively affect the baby. So then why not look at it on the positive side? Hmm? And then what happens when you read the seerah? Because you're going through the whole life of Sayyidina Rasulullah so you feel different aspects of love for him. You will feel a different feeling of love when you read about him being a baby and his early life period, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and him being witnessed by Halima Sadir anha. You will feel different feelings of love for him when you read about his becoming an orphan. You will feel different feelings of love for him when you read about him trying to support himself by working for Umm Amin Sayyidah Khadija anha, and on and on as you go through the whole seerah, you will feel so many different Tinges and hues and colors of love for Nabi Akram sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Do you want to take your baby through that journey of love? Hmm? You want to take that baby in your womb through that journey of love? Then this next thing is that the Mashaik mentioned that she should read 
the biographies of the noble and pious people means Sahaba and Oliya. Anbiya, Sahaba, Oliya. So first Sirat Nabi Sallallahu then Anbiya, Sahaba, Oliya. Why? Because then she will get a vision. First again the emotions, but then she will get a vision of what an insan can be like. The heights that an insan can reach. Nabuwa is obviously bestowed by Allah Ta'ala. Sahaba was also selected by Allah Ta'ala, but wilayah is still attainable by insan. So she will get an idea that maybe she will make du'as during that pregnancy when she reads those stories, that Ya Allah, make my son like that, make my daughter like that. If this child in me is a daughter, make her like Rabia Basriya. If this child in me is a son, make, her, make him like Hassan al-Basri. She will naturally make those du'as, but with a lot of feeling. Hmm? With a lot of feeling. So she needs, and this is a relaxed, restful activity. Because physically speaking, in pregnancy, many women will need to rest a bit more, be a bit more, you know, at home and in bed and on chair. So she should read. It's so sad that what, the, what do the women do instead? They start reading all types of magazines of baby clothing. Huh? Okay, to a little extent, no problem, right? But you don't need to spend hours and hours and days looking at baby crib and baby clothing and baby magazine and parenting manual and parenting 101 books and parenting for dummies. Huh? You're Muslimah. What do you need the for dummies series? Huh? You have the guidance of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then when she's pregnant, she should make sure about what she eats. Now there are different levels of eating. Obviously the first bare minimum level is halal. But there's another word Allah Ta'ala uses in Quran. For example, when, when the ashab kahf woke up and then they realized that some years had passed and so they sent, okay, one of you, you go in in stealth, right? And you go into the town and you find some risk. Halal and tayyibah. Halal and tayyib. Why? Because you're ashab kahf you're in the cave. That's like your womb. That's like your womb. You've not yet coming to the world. So quickly go to the world, one of you, and come back and get some risk. So because when you're in this state of khalwa, almost like you can say itikaf, even a state of khalwa, a state of retreat, a state of disconnect from the world, then you should try that your risk should be both halal and tayyib. So the baby in your womb is also in this khalwa. Your baby in your room, it's like it's cave. It has not yet come to the dunya. So you want to get food that is halal and is tayyib. So then question comes, what is the definition of tayyib? What is the definition of tayyib? So halal, maybe let me do that as well just to be clear. Halal means number one, that is earned from lawful income. So the money that is used to purchase that food or purchase the ingredients that are used to cook the food must be earned from a lawful source. Second, obviously the ingredients themselves must be lawful. Right? These are the two main conditions for the food to be halal. Tayyib. What does tayyib mean? So tayyib means more pure, more wholesome. And yes, that may have a physical aspect to it. So like people prefer to eat more organic, more wholesome, more healthy foods. Again, like I said, many cultures, they make food preparations like that for pregnant women. Tayyib also has a spiritual element. So one element of being tayyib is that the food that is prepared, that food which is cooked, prepared food on the stove, it is prepared and cooked by a Muslim person. Second, it is prepared and cooked by a Muslim who is not an open sinner, fasik fajr. Third, it is prepared and cooked by a non-openly sinning, believing, practicing Muslim 
who prays salah regularly, who does all the fara'id. Next it can be prepared by a person who has all of that and while they're preparing their food, they do it in a state of wudu. While preparing the food, they're in a state of wudu. And next they have all of that and in addition to being in a state of wudu, they're making the zikr of Allah Ta'ala throughout the preparation of their food. You know, like today women, sometimes they want to ask questions that, oh, tell me something I can read and blow on my husband's food before I give it to him. So that, huh? ABC, huh? Dot, 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 huh? Allah Akbar. So then, so how much zikr should she be making while preparing and then while eating the food that is going to be the nutrient that goes to her baby? Hmm? So she would so that was the last part then to, to finish the tayyip process is that while she herself eats it, while she herself eats it, she can be in a, uh, a state of wudu and she can be making the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She should be in a state of wudu and making the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then, while she's expecting and pregnant, she should take great care to observe all the fara'id and wajibat, all the mandatory things at whatever level of obligation they are. And she should try as much as possible to do all the liked, beloved, preferable, mustahab, mandub, sunnah acts and do more a'mal as-salih. All of these things will have a positive effect on the child. Now, it's strange that sometimes what happens is that uh, they want, husband and wife want pious children, but they don't make a'mal. Rather they're stubborn, they're lazy, and then they get puzzled later on and what happened and why is my child turning out to be disobedient? Or even worse, if they were themselves disobedient to Allah Ta'ala while being pregnant, then why be surprised that later the child grew up to be disobedient to Allah Ta'ala because you nurtured him on disobedience. Hmm? It doesn't always work like that, right? But it's a possibility. It's a way of thinking, right? It's our way of thinking. No, we should want to be as much practicing always for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. But if the woman is pregnant, she should want to make even more deeds. She can make even more good deeds. It's written in the books of story that once there was a husband and wife couple like that and Allah Ta'ala blessed them that they got news that the woman was expecting. And when the child grew up, he became very disobedient and they didn't understand what was happening. And so the husband and wife were trying to discuss did something happen, did something happen. So then the wife, she mentioned that while she was pregnant, she would eat the fruit of a neighbor's tree whose branches were falling on their side of the yard and she didn't take permission before eating them. So actually, they were fruit belonged to the neighbor. So just this effect of eating food, you could call it haram food, even if you call it doubtful food, this can also have an effect on a person. This can also have an effect on a person. It then is written in the books another story that once there was a pious old man who had many children and all of them were pious except one. And someone who once visited him noticed this stark difference to ask him and then the old man became very sad and tears came out of his eyes and he said that yet this child of mine, son, has turned out disobedient because something <coughs> of what I did, something of what I did. So he says that once there was no food in our house and we were very hungry and somebody sent some food oh, I unlawfully obtained, I unlawfully obtained some food to eat 
Usually I didn't do that. But that day I unlawfully obtained the food and that very same night uh, me and my wife, we uh, conceived and our child was conceived on that night and because I had had doubtful food that day or haram food that day, the child that was conceived that night turned out to grow up to be disobedient. Allahu Akbar. So these things can have an effect. These things can have an effect. Then, on a, even in addition to the spiritual side, on the emotional side, it's very important that a woman should always try, and everyone around her should also try, to keep her happy and positive during the pregnancy and try to protect her from every type of sadness and sorrow because some, some sadness and sorrow can also make that pregnancy more difficult. Can make it more difficult. <coughs> then the act of listening. So we had alluded to this before. Listening to audio recitation of Qur'an in addition to her own recitation of Qur'an. So as much as possible she should listen to Qur'an because at some point, and I can't remember when, but scientifically and it's even that process mentioned in Qur'an, the baby in the womb develops the ability to hear. The ears start forming, the hearing sense starts developing. And so if near to it, Qur'an and Kareem is recited, it will be able to hear it. So then the attempt should be that as much as possible, the baby should be listening to Qur'an. So the woman and baby together, they will be listening to Qur'an. Listening to Qur'an, listening to Qur'an, listening to Qur'an. Mother can try to recite also, but at some point she might get tired of reciting, might not be able to recite. Even she can lie down, even take a nap, and the Qur'an can be playing for the baby. Normally it's not the adab to do that, to sleep, but if you do it with this niyyah, because sometimes when the mother is sleeping, the baby is awake. So these two things aren't linked. Many times the mother might be sleeping, but the baby inside might still be awake and kicking. So the baby will still be hearing Qur'an al-Kareem. So there is somebody who is listening. It's not other to play the Qur'an and then everybody goes to sleep and there's nobody listening to it. But in this case, her niyat is that her baby is listening. Her baby is listening. Allahu Akbar. Hmm? Now imagine, just look at even, I just gave a few points, right? How many women did these type of points when they were pregnant? So that's one meaning of fitna. So don't always think the way we normally use fitna when we insert it in the English language, that they're a problem for us. No, no, that's not what Allah Ta'ala means. It means it's an opportunity. Every opportunity is a test. Every test means you can either succeed and earn the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala, or you can be negligent, you can lapse, you can fail to earn the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala. That's also a loss. And not only fail, you might even incur the displeasure of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. You might even incur the displeasure of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Then another intention to make is Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam hadith that he wanted that the couples of his ummah should bear more children, should have more children so that on the day of judgment he will be happy to enjoy to see the large number of his ummah. Hmm? So one niyat then is that I want to have a child to make my Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam happy on the day of judgment to bring joy to him on the day of judgment. One is just to make him, make him happy with me, but one is just to make him happy. Not even relating it to oneself. 
I just want, if I learnt now that this is something that makes Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi happy. So the woman would think, they'd make dua that, Ya Allah, I read in Hadith that Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi he likes Sareed, a particular type of meal. I wish I was alive, then I would have cooked it for him. I heard that he liked this, I wish I could have done it for him. But Ya Rabbi, I wasn't alive in his time. But now I've read this one thing in Hadith, that he will be happy when he sees the children of his Ummah. So I want to have this child, so I can make my beloved Nabi Kareem Sallallahu I'm happy. Hmm? Intention before, before conceiving. Hmm? Then, when sometimes people ask this question, that if they find out the gender. So I personally don't think there's a strict answer in this. Uh, the only real strict thing is that even if you are told or you ask, through some modern scientific mean, you must still in your heart have yakin that only Allah Ta'ala knows best. Only Allah Ta'ala knows best. Right? And Allah Ta'ala has mentioned this in Quran Kareem. Lillahi mulku samawati wal ard. To Allah Ta'ala alone belongs the complete dominion and sovereignty over all of the heavenly realms and all of the land on earth. Yakhluku ma yasha. And Allah Ta'ala creates whatsoever He wills. That Allah Ta'ala gives whomsoever He wants a female child. And Allah Ta'ala gives whomsoever He wants male children. Even the words of this verse are very beautiful. Yahab, it means gift. Hiba, Allah Ta'ala is Wahab. He loves to give, He is the bestower. So He gifts, although Allah Ta'ala used the word khalq earlier, the verb. He creates, but because it's a more personal, more more soft, more sweet, nice way to say, not that Allah created your child, but Allah Ta'ala gifted your child. He gifts to whomsoever he wants. Now here, then look what came first. The mention of the feminine gender came first. Girls and second boys. So this is why it's very important that number one, a person have yakin that Allah Ta'ala will gift me whatever He so wants. Second, that I should be happy. I should be equally happy if I have a daughter than if I have a son. It doesn't matter if I have three daughters and number four is coming. Still I'll be equally happy if it's a daughter or it's a son. I may have seven children already. All seven are daughters. If number eight is daughter, I will be equally happy. Why? Because you're going to look at the gift aspect. This is hiba. This is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when your beloved gives you something, so you're happy that any gift that your beloved gives you. Hmm? Because it comes from your beloved Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It comes from your beloved Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So daughters are blessings and sons are blessings. Daughters are gift and sons are gift. Both of them. Both of them are equally blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, no doubt, daughters and sons are different. They have different ways of loving. Anyone who has both daughters and sons know that there's a different way they love, a different aspect of loyalty, a different color to their love. So yes, certainly, any and every person can have this wish that Allah Ta'ala wants you to bless me with both type of gifts because we want every bounty and blessing that you have. We love to receive every ni'mah and bounty from our beloved. So it's fine to have that wish and that desire and that dua, but we must be radhi, we must be happy and content and pleased with Allah Ta'ala, no matter what the gender of the child might be. 
no matter what the gender of the child might be. And we should know, although conventional wisdom suggests that the son will be more supportive, many times a daughter can be very loyal. A daughter can be very supportive in ways that maybe even not every son is always supportive. And Nabi Akrim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was given daughters. He was also given sons. So this is also sunnah that he was given both sallallahu alayhi wa daughters and sons. But as you would all know, his sons passed away in their early uh, infancy, early stages of childhood. Hmm? So then if Allah Ta'ala gives a daughter, you should think happily that, oh, Allah Ta'ala is making me get a sunnah, ittibai sunnah. I'm making, Allah Ta'ala is making me similar to my beloved Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Hmm? Then Allah Ta'ala has mentioned many daughters, daughters of Anbiya and Quran, the daughters of Shuaib, alayhi salam, mentioned in Quran, Sayyidah Maryam, Radhanatana, daughter of Imran, mentioned in Quran. So there's a nobility about daughters. And you would know the hadith of Nabi Akram sallallahu alayhi wa said that whoever has two daughters and that person, parent, raises them properly, nicely, well with tarbiyah, tazkiyah, adab, on deen, and then raises them up till they reach their adult life and go and get married and settle on their homes, then that person, and Nabi Akram raised his hand and showed his two fingers stuck to each other and said that person will be as close to me in Jannah as these two fingers are close together. Allahu Akbar. And there's no hadith like that about two sons or one son or three sons. Hmm? Allahu Akbar. So this should also be, people should desire that, Ya Rab, I want two daughters. I want two daughters so I can do amal on this hadith. I can have this path to Jannah. Hmm? I can have this path to Jannah. And some cultures, it's very strange. I'm not saying which culture this takes place in, but in some cultures, it's very strange. Sometimes the father is happy to have the daughter. It's the women folk. It's their own gender, but it's the women folk who frown on it. So like the mother-in-law would think that, oh, you should have had a son, right? She herself is a woman, right? But she thinks like that. Very strange. Hmm? Very strange. So, and actually, since many of you are not just mothers, but also mother-in-laws, so mother-in-law should never ever give any feeling like that, because what gender child your daughter-in-law has is completely only in the power and will and wish of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So to hold this against your daughter-in-law, which is some strange systems of culture, or some individual families, or individual personalities, people do that. They get upset, they talk, oh, my daughter-in-law has failed to give my son a son. La hawla wa la quwata billah. Actually, it's very dangerous. It's very, it's borderline, you're threatening your iman. First you made a mistake, it wasn't her who gave it, Allah Ta'ala gave it. So this is the very dangerous type of mistake that you attribute causality, with, when the causality lay with Allah, you attribute to makhluk. It's a very dangerous thing with your iman when you talk like that. And then you're being upset about it. And we just told you the verse of Quran is Allah Ta'ala who gives. So you're upset with the gift that Allah Ta'ala gave. Hmm? Don't you see in this world, if somebody gives a gift and they see the person frowns, it's a great offense that I gave them the gift and they frowned. They frowned at the gift I gave them. So then imagine what you're doing is you're frowning at the gift Allah Ta'ala gave you. So what if Allah Ta'ala takes great offense, Al-Aman, Al-Hafiz? What if He takes great offense at this? So this is a very dangerous thing. 
whether the mother herself feels that, oh, why did I have a daughter? Or if the mother-in-law feels this, that why did my daughter-in-law give yet another daughter to my son? Hmm? It's very important. So these were few uh, few comments about how the woman can pass this test of children. So she will be tested with them so she can pass this test by having these feelings and du'as and practices before conceiving intentions and also while pregnant with child. Then again we had mentioned that during the course of the delivery itself, this is a time when her sins are forgiven, this is a time when her du'as are accepted, so she should prepare for that moment. Because otherwise, obviously in that moment, it can be very chaotic. But if she's prepared, she will remember at least few of those du'as. There will be some few precious du'as that at least she'll remember. And obviously in light of today's presentation, she should definitely make du'a for that child, for the wala'i of that child, the jannah of that child, the mahbubiya for that child, that baby that is being born, to be beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to be a paragon of deen, a virtue of excellence, to grow up, to be a person of haya, a person of taqwa, a person of love for Allah Ta'ala. But the more prepared she is and the more it is her niyyah, then it will be easy to make du'as at that time. And if a person isn't prepared and doesn't have that in their conscious and the foreground of their consciousness, then they can easily forget and miss this golden opportunity. Miss this golden opportunity hmm? to make du'as. Then when the baby is born, it's the natural process and it's preferred in deen. It's highly, highly, highly preferred in deen. Right? But again, there are always individual circumstances and individual situations that mothers will have to you know, navigate on their own. But generally you can say rule of thumb, it's highly preferred that the baby should drink the milk of their mother as opposed to the formula powder milk. Hmm? Formula powder milk. Hmm? And you know, this was a way even that mothers used to tell their children when they grew up. Hmm? That you know, they would scold their children that how do you disobey me? I nursed you for so many years. Huh? Now the child would say, you didn't nurse me, it was the bottle that nursed me. Huh? And then the child will retort, you won't be able to use this. Hmm? Khair, this is not just about it being scientifically more healthy. It's a bonding experience. It's a very important experience that the woman must have with the child. And again, during this process, after the nifas, after the initial post, uh, postnatal postpartum bleeding, then again a woman has the ability to be in wudu. So then she should try to try. Sometimes it may not, it may be too inconvenient to be possible, but sometimes it's easily convenient. She should try to always be in a state of wudu when she nurses her child. Once our Hazaji, he gave example of this, that there was one woman student of his, and she always was in wudu. She told Hazaji this, that after the nifas period end, every single time I nursed my child, I did so in a state of wudu. Allahu Akbar Kabira. That's mothers. They're still mothers like that. These are contemporary 21st century stories I'm telling you. So there's still mothers like that in this world. Hmm? So then imagine, it wouldn't have just been the wudu. We can just imagine ourselves that if she was so careful and conscious about that, then one can only imagine how many du'as she must have made for her baby. How many du'as she must have made while she was nursing her baby. How much fikr concern she must have had for her baby. 
and then being in a state of wudu all the time. So she could have been doing tilawat while nursing. She could have been doing all types of du'a, zikr, ibadah, with the extra added benefit of wudu. Hmm? Then the mother should make sure that if they're nursing their baby, they should say bismillah, because the baby can't say the bismillah. It's too young to know this. So the mother should say bismillah on behalf of the baby. The mother should try to remain in the zikr of Allah subhanahu ta'ala during the process of the nursing. The mother should make du'as, like our mashayikh teaches us to make du'a, they call mutabik to the hal and maqam, like mashayikh teaches us how to make du'a when we're in umrah and in tawaf and in sa'i. So she should make du'a that, Ya Rabbi, out of every drop of milk, give my child an ocean of your marfat, ocean of knowledge, ocean of your love, almost like... Uh, you know, she should be making du'as to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Du'as to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But you know, it's so sad that some women, they don't understand. So the nursing baby watching TV while doing it. La hulla wa la la billah. Yeah. They're nursing baby and talking on phone and sometimes doing backbiting while doing it. Hmm? They're nursing baby and doing all types of other things while doing it. So no, this, this, this has the possibility that it could adversely affect the obedience, the taqwa of the child in the future. So here, as far as physical aspect goes, naturally, sometimes there may be a mother who's not able to do that, or sometimes she's told that your milk is not sufficient, you must supplement. So you may have to do that, right? You may necessarily have to do that, but you should try as best as you can to follow the natural, classical, more baraka method. Then you know that there's another thing in our deen, which is for blessing, this is called tahnik. Tahniq in Urdu we call it gutti. What does it mean? So this is a tradition of our deen. This from sunnah. Sunnah act. Right? Now again, this is not fard. This is a sunnah act. What is that? That they should take, obtain either a two-day leftover mixed with saliva or something like honey mixed with saliva by anyone that the woman and the mother and father view to be from salihin, muttaqin, some pious person. Now look at this strange tradition of deen. Right? How fortunate were those sahabiyat that they would get tahniq from Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi sallam. How many children of sahaba were raised just on this? Hmm? Allahu Akbar kabira. And then how many children of tabi'in were raised in the tahniq of sahaba ikram? Hmm? So this is a sunnah. This is a sunnah. And then to obtain that and then to give that to the child. Khair, prior to that also, I forgot when the baby was born to recite the adhan in the right ear and the iqama in the left ear. So these are some of the early things. Adhan in the right ear, iqama in the left ear, and the tahniq within the first few days. So this is also one of the beauties to recite adhan. Now some people, I've observed this practice, that they ask some pious person, some person who they think to be pious, to recite adhan in the right and left ear. My feeling, Allahu Alam, is that this can be done, but there's no limit that you can only recite the adhan once. I feel that even if you get a pious person to recite it, the father should still recite it once. Because the father should also have this ability to bond with the child. The mother will be bonding through the nursing and so many things, right? So it's very important and good, I feel, that even if you, mashallah, have someone who you feel is from Salihin, recite the adhan, still, after that, the father should recite the adhan in the right ear and ikama in left ear. 
So the father feels close. The father will realize then that my parenting is about this, is about teaching my baby Allahu Akbar, about teaching my baby Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, about teaching my baby Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, about teaching my baby Hayla Salah, about teaching my baby Hayla Salah, inviting them to everything of Deen that will give them Salah and Akhirah. It can be a very moving experience for the father. So I think the father should do it also. And then there's the process of naming, naming the child. So you should try to give a good name to the child. Good name to the child. So it comes in read that Allah Ta'ala loves these names like Abdullah, Abdurrahman, Abdurrahim, Muhammad, Ahmad. Allah Ta'ala loves these names. But fair enough, a person isn't confined only to these names. A person isn't confined only to these names. One may use names of Anbiya, one may use names of Sahaba, one may use names of Oliya. That's another way, Anbiya, Sahaba, Oliya. Sometimes also there are some people who like to pick a different type of name. They want to be different, have a name that's unique or exotic or rare. You should be very careful when you do that. At the very least, you should make sure that the meaning of that word, first that it is appropriate to use that word as a name to call someone, right? And that the meaning of that word is some pure, wholesome, good, nice meaning. Pure, wholesome, good, nice meaning. And similarly for the girls, of course not Anbiya, but Sahabiyat, names of Sahabiyat, names of the female, Awliyaullah, Names that the Anbiya kept their daughters, the names of the wives and daughters of Anbiya, the names of wives and daughters of Sahaba, etc. These are considered some of the better names. Then there's also a sunnah to do aqiqah on the seventh day after birth. So see all of these things in the very initial period, it's clearly orienting the child on a path of deen. That the birth should be sought by Allah Ta'ala for deen. In pregnancy there would be shukr to Allah Ta'ala. Then after and inshallah, Allah Ta'ala give every woman always healthy pregnancy and healthy delivery. So then on the seventh day, so it's sunnah, and it's preferred to do it on seventh day. Every now and then you may have some reason. Then some, at least in Hanafi fiqh, the ulama say, then you can do it in stages of seven, so then 14th day, 21st day. But strictly speaking, if for some reason you have it on a day other than the seven, it's permissible, but one should try whenever possible to do amal on the sunnah. To do amal on the sunnah. To, to slaughter the meat and to have some, uh, first to have a feast amongst at least your close friends and family. Then to distribute some amongst your family. And then to definitely distribute some food, some of the meat amongst the poor people as well. This is also a teaching of our deen. To share the happiness with the poor to spread the happiness to the poor. That any joy Allah Ta'ala gives you, you must give zakat of that joy also. Not just zakat of that money, but you must try to share and spread that joy to others who may not be able to have that joy. Hmm? Then, now the baby is now seven years old. Now the mother is bonding a lot with the baby. Here again, it doesn't end at the delivery. Here again, recitation of Qur'an. Here again, playing Qur'an so the baby can listen. That part continues. That part continues throughout the time the baby is a toddler. There are some women who, Masa, they've played Qur'an so much that by the time the baby is two, that baby, by the nine months in the womb and then two years 
in, in infancy has listened to Quran maybe 30, 50, hundreds of times. It's possible. Once there was a couple who child did hifs very easily, quickly, at a very young age. So the mudaris, the teacher of that, that darloom, he asked the parents that, you know, this is a very unique experience I saw. So they said that actually we used to play a lot of Quran. We used to play a lot of Quran when the child was in the womb and when the child was baby toddler. Hmm? So it helped the kids hifs. And that's natural. Even science would understand that. Hmm? Allah Akbar. Then sometimes parents have this practice of sometimes singing lullabies. To our Shaykh Hazaji, he would love to tell people that they should sing lullabies that have Allah Ta'ala's name in it, that have the zikr of Allah Ta'ala in it, that have the zikr of Allah Ta'ala in it. Like, Hasbi Rabbi Jallallah, Ma Fi Kalbi Ghairullah. So there's zikr like that. Then in different languages, our own Hazaji would mention different lullabies in Urdu, Punjabi language that talk about Allah Ta'ala, have the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the most emphasis there was the name Allah. So this baby, especially in these first two years of their life, when they're also being wet nurse for two, two year period, that they should keep hearing Allah Ta'ala's name. As much as possible, they want to hear Allah's name. So just like they can try to listen to audio recitation of Quran so many dozens of times, by the time they are from birth to age two, they should have heard the name of Allah thousands and thousands of times. They should have heard Allah Ta'ala's name thousands and thousands of times. Orally, A-U-R, orally listening in their ears. Hmm? Allah Akbar. Because the baby, it all registers. It's not just the mind that registers, it's their ruh that will register this. It's their kalb, their spiritual heart that will register this. So this is the main training from zero to two. right? Because in the first two years, uh, a baby can normally, every now and then they may speak at one and a half or two, two, but they're not really speaking at this time. So most thing is that they should listen to Qur'an Listen to Durud Shreef Salawat and hear the blessed name of Allah Taala, and second hear the blessed name Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the blessed name Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the name of her beloved Nabi Akreem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and this is important because sometimes for some women Muslim, many of us out of other we normally say Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Nabi Akreem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam so out of other sometimes we don't take his name right but it's important. The name also has a nur in it. Right? So that's why sometimes some mashayikh, they would have this practice, Sayyidina Rasulullah Muhammadin Mustafa Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam so that they could get the lutf of taking his blessed name. Hmm? And other mashayikh were the position that it's a more adab to not take the name. And akhir, they are different temperaments and personalities. But I was just saying that feeling for the baby they should get to hear the blessed name of Allah Ta'ala and also the blessed name of their Nabi Akreem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So this covers the baby up till two years old. Then the next major, because two years is when the wet nursing period ends. The next major hallmark is when the baby is, a child is seven years old. So Nabi Akreem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said in hadith that let your child play until the age of seven. So it means and basically from two to seven is playgroup, is playing. But that doesn't mean you can still, there's still many aspects of tarbiyah that can be done at this age. 
So now when it began with the name of Allah Ta'ala, the name of Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, one can introduce other names of Allah Ta'ala, one can introduce small ayat of Qur'an, then small surahs of Qur'an, then small du'as, small du'as. And you'd be amazed, even a five, six, seven-year-old has a lot of memorization p- potential. We've even seen in Pakistan seven-year-old hafizah. I remember once in the annual ijtima in Jung at our Sheikh's Khanka, one Qari, he brought his daughter, he wanted her to recite to the crowd in Dukirat, and she was seven years old. And we made her stand on the highest step of the mimbar, so everybody could see. And this little seven-year-old girl, Allahu Akbar, ajeeb, and she was not nervous at all. Huge thousands in front of her. No nervous. She just took the mic and she just started reciting. Allahu Akbar. Seven-year-old Hafiz I've seen with my own eyes. Hmm? So anything is possible. And this golden we have not appreciated the incredible kuwa that if Allah out of his fuzzle and karam gives tawfiq, the power of humanity, the power of children. Hmm? So from ages two to seven, Introduction to Qur'an, du'as, and then introduction to the concept of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that in this age, a child is capable of developed feelings. And these are the first formative feelings that come in the heart of a person from the ages of two to seven. So this is why they get the feeling of attachment to their parent. So by seven, the child is fully uh, attached and in love with their parents. Just like that, just like that, by the age seven, the child should be fully attached to the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and love for Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the best way to accomplish this is stories. Stories. So like from some of the bayanat, share some stories of the mercy of Allah ta'ala. So the child doesn't just, it shouldn't be only that they believe in Allah ta'ala. They should know Allah ta'ala is kind and soft and loving and merciful. They should feel by the age of seven that Allah Ta'ala is the most wonderful being. They, they, will, they can. A child by seven can fall in love with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Definitely they can. They can fall in love with Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu But they need the stories. They need the knowledge. They need somebody to guide them to those feelings. So from two to seven, you want to work on their feelings. Feelings for Allah Ta'ala, feelings for Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And then when they're six, seven, then feelings for Anbiya, feelings of Sahaba. All the feelings you want to get. And try first and foremost to introduce them to the positive feelings. So yes, at a very light level, you can mention things like wrong and right. And Allah Ta'ala gets upset when you do something wrong. But you don't have to give them huh? that bayan on the fire of Jahannam. At this small age, right? Because some women I've seen, they overdo it. Some, some children, because we have children of this age, right? I have, alhamdulillah, now one child who is two and one child who is five and one who is, mashallah, she be eight or maybe she just turned eight actually. It's July. Somewhere in July she turned eight. So, but I remember once there was one of our children at this age of four, five, six, seven, she came home started talking about shaitan. That shaitan does this, and shaitan does that, and shaitan does this, right? So somebody had given her a whole lecture and lesson on shaitan. Huh? But she still didn't know about some of the anbiya, some of the sahaba. Hmm? So here in this age, it should be all of the positive stories, and just an introductory aspect of the other side, especially the concept of wrong, and that now that they love Allah Ta'ala, 
first, then you tell them that Allah Ta'ala views certain things as wrong. When they already love Allah Ta'ala, then they will view those things as wrong anyway. Because their beloved Allah views it as wrong. And if you don't put the love for Allah Ta'ala first, and you try to tell them these things are wrong, so you will get the questions. I don't understand why is this wrong. Then later you try, then they'll still question, why doesn't Allah Ta'ala like it? The questions will come. No, you have to put Allah Ta'ala first. Feelings for Allah Ta'ala first. But by the age seven, the child should really, really, really have deep feelings. Really deep, strong feelings of love and attachment to Allah subhanahu ta'ala, love and attachment to Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu and have a desire and wish to please Allah ta'ala and please Nabi Kareem sallallahu The khair we can only do up to this stage, which is up to age seven. What happens after seven is now is gradually trying to get them to obey, to pray trying to get them, now that from these two to seven, they had that love, so now they must express that love. So the expression of love through small acts of ibadah, small acts of obedience, that will begin at the age of seven, and that's basically the preparation for especially making them regular in salah. Here we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all the women who are present in the hall or who are listening wherever they may be, that He make you the best of women, may He make you the best of mothers, may He make your children the best of children. What does that mean? That may He make you awliya women and awliya mothers and make your children awliya children. And may Allah ta'ala enable us to learn and be more conscious and more careful and take this role and identity of being a mother and having a child as a great blessing from Allah Ta'ala and a great incredible means for us to pass this test and rather pass it with flying colors and therefore the children will not be a fitna for us but rather we will be tested through them and tried through them and that sense they will be a fitna we will be tested and tried through them but inshallah if we follow the guidance of our deen and the advice of our beloved mashayikh and ulama then inshallah we can use that test as a means of drawing both ourselves and our children Closer to Allah subhanahu ta'ala, may Allah ta'ala accept this need from us. Wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Before we make dua, make muraqama, close your eyes, bow your head, disconnect yourself from everything in the world, go deep into your heart and make niyyah that your qalb is silently making the zikr of Allah ta'ala's name, that your qalb is calling Allah, Allah, Allah.
Pious parents, we want our parenting to be for you. We want our parenting to be lilla, parenting to be filla. We want our parenting to be part of our ishq for you, part of our ishq for Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we were lazy, we were neglectful, we were passive. Ya Rabbi Kareem, fix us, Ya Allah. Now make us make every aspect of our parenting for you, every moment of parenting for you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we make door for all the women who are present and listening. Ya Rabbi Kareem, those who are parents, mothers, Ya Rabb, make them the most noble, virtuous, pious mother. Grant them every ease with every grant them ease with every difficulty. Make it easy for them, Ya Rabb. Help, help put in the hearts of the family members to be more supportive towards them, to be more loving towards them, to be more kind towards them. Soften the hearts between the family members. Put peace and harmony in the homes once again. Ya Rabbi Kareem, if there are any women who are married but have yet to have children, Ya Rabb, out of your infinite karam and fuzzle. If it is in your wish and decree, Allah, we ask that you give them this gift and blessing of children. And if in your infinite wisdom and decree, it is not in thy wish, Allah, be claimed and grant them some consolation, some other gift, some special love from you. Make them radhi with you. Make them pleased with you in every way. And Allah, be claimed the women who may not be yet married, Allah, decree for them a noble, pious, honorable spouse who will be their partner on the spiritual path. Allah, be claimed and all of us men and women who are parents. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask your forgiveness, Ya Allah, for failing as parents, being inadequate parents, lacking as parents. Ya Allah, we make toba for that. We want to be true to you. We want to be the best for you in any way that we can. Ya Rabbi Kareem, grant us tawfiq, Ya Rabb. Make it easy for us, Ya Rabb. Motivate us, Ya Rabb. Inspire us, Ya Rabb. Guide us, Ya Rabb, so that we can be better mothers and fathers, better parents to our children, that we can be true friends to our children, true guardians to our children. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we make dua for all of our children and all of our descendants until Yom Adin and all of the children of Ummah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make all the children from your Salihin and Salihat, from the Zakirin and Zakirat, make them from the Oliya Muttakun. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, raise from them, Ya Rabb, the Khudam of Deen, the lovers of Deen, the servants of Deen, the spreaders of Deen. Raise forth from them, Ya Rabb, the guardians of the Sunnah of Nabi Kareem, the defenders of the deen of Islam. Ya Rabbi Kareem, accept them, Ya Allah. Raise from this ummah a new generation, a next generation, Ya Rabbi Kareem, that is shining on deen, sparkling on deen, strong and steadfast in deen. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we make to especially for any of the women who may be expecting or recently have given birth. Ya Rabbi Kareem, let them follow these guidelines. Let them learn even more. Let them be even better than this. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make them the most noble virtuous, pious, loyal, loving mother that they can be and make that a means of their maghfirah, make that a means of sending your rahmah on them, make that a means of your putting sukoon in their heart. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you accept us and you grant us and you guide us and you gift us over and over again. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka antas
سَمِيعٌ عَلِيمٌ وَتُوبُوا إِلَيْنَا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ التَّوَّابُ الرَّحِيمُ وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَلَى حَبِيبِهِ سَيِّدِنَا مُحَمَّدٍ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ بِرَحْمَتِكَ يَا أَرْحَمَ الرَّاحِمِينَ